Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Danny Bennett. Danny is a recovering addict who will celebrate 11 amazing years of sobriety this year. And he's built up a loyal following on his social media where he often shares his story of strength, experience and hope to help break the stigma of addiction and show people they're not alone. I really connected with Danny on this episode and I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to listen to the short ads at the beginning and also don't forget to follow my podcast. And if you get the time, please leave a review. Hello, Danny. Welcome to my show, One for the Road. Uh, I'm so pleased that we've eventually finally got to get you on because there's been a few times that we haven't quite um, worked it out together. And the last time was my fault. So thank you so much. And you're looking really well, mate. You've just come back from my beer haven't you? You had a few days away. So you're obviously in a great mood, right? Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, and like you said, uh, we have made it eventually, and I have literally just got back. My flight was delayed, absolute nightmare, but it is what it is. I got home about two, half two this morning, and here we are. So yeah, glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, and and that's not unusual for you because we're getting to it later. But um, you work crazy hours as well, so <laughs> so for the yeah, so that's what's that's what's put us off, isn't it, for the last however long but yes though for the last 20 years i've been doing the night shifts uh, for the last 10 at one club but i have just jacked my job in so this is something i was going to go into with emotions and feelings oh, and great. All right. in recovery because i've got it all going on at the moment <laughs> okay well as everyone knows by now i like to wind it straight back um and i know your story is slightly different right because a lot of people i've talked to have stuff going on in their childhood and different bits and bobs, but yours is a little bit different. So uh, we'd love to hear your story, mate. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'll start from the beginning. I'm going to kind of just keep it brief as I can, but I had a really great childhood. I had a really good upbringing, really beautiful parents that I still now have amazing relationship with an amazing sister who's there for me whenever I need her and vice versa. And she's still there for me now. Um, I went to a lovely school, <laughs> all of the things, parents were together, all of what you would call like a good upbringing. Do you know what I mean? Never wanted for anything. Never, never like holidays every year. Like you, it just, just a very, very good, very nice, happy, loving family relationship. So then we fast forward to probably about 15, 16 years old. And I started smoking a few cigarettes with some mates at school, hanging out with the wrong, I'll say the wrong, but just the people at the time that were, were that I was knocking about with. Um, and then it would be the occasional bit of weed on the way home, like from the later years of senior school, 
there was this pond on the way home from that we'd all walk past and we'd all sit there and have a little have a little spliff and um have a few cigarettes and then I remember I don't know why I remember you remember the strangest things we'd get nearer the house and then we'd be having all these chewing gums and we'd be rubbing our hands in the grass to try and get the smells off so that we'd go in and be like yeah. smelling to see if you'd been smoking and for whatever reason we we were under this mad belief that that would get rid of the smell but <laughs> I don't think it did and then um I left school uh before the finish because I do have learning difficulties and the school that I was in at the time didn't cater for that. So the best decision was for me to leave and have some education for some people with, with, with struggling that struggle to learn. Like, um, so we did that anyway. And that, and that was cool. That worked. I ended up being at the school playground quite a lot with my mates smoking and doing whatever. Again, quite normal stuff. And then I just sort of knocked about like again, a nice area. We'd go and do normal things. We'd go and grab food and we'd try and get in a few pubs and we would get in a few and we'd have a little pint and we'd think, think it was great. And it was, there was no like, nothing untoward, nothing horrible. I had no, like, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, it just doesn't matter what your, your upbringing is. It can lead you to a certain place. And then when I was 18, I started as a doorman, started working in, in, in the club scene. Um, and, Again, for a few, for probably about 18 months, maybe two years, I don't know. I can't remember the exact timeline. But I didn't, I didn't take a drug. Like, I would smoke, again, smoke a few cigarettes and I've had the occasional little doob, like, but no, nothing else. Or, 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 or even drinking. There, there was none of that really. It was just very normal. And I was doing a bit of modeling. I had a, a modeling agency and that was great in the day. And I was thinking, wow, this is like, this is good, man. Like, it's cool. And then, had again like we have girlfriends and we split up and the feelings came and I've since learned a lot but at the time I didn't know so I struggled to cope with my feelings and being an addict and everyone around me at the time was taking cocaine so for me I, t- I took cocaine and I didn't feel like I felt amazing so it was inevitable that I was going to go back to it but there was no, it was as and when. There was no, like, there was no set, like, I don't know, every Friday night, for example, I hear a lot of stories and I think, okay, like, I relate to bits, but they'll do a few lines and then they'll save it and put it away and go back to it the next Friday or, or whatever. Like, the difference is when I started, I can't, I couldn't stop. But that took took me a bit of time to get to that stage and I was quite happily working, being out with friends, dating different women, uh, had a couple of small relationships and there was no huge problems. And I can't actually tell you because I don't really know what the huge turning point where it went from casual use to addictive use. All I remember is mid-20s and my parents had realised and noticed a huge change in me. And I, I was denying it, denying it, denying it. Like, I was like, no, I'm not drinking, I'm not whatever, or, or just, an, just a normal amount, do you know what I mean? I was using massive. But it literally just went from casual, having fun, having a great time, um, to absolutely not being able to cope with the mental thoughts, not being able to 
like it just literally went bam bam there was no kind of it just happened and that was scary because at that point uh, every time i used i wanted to die and that that's like the truth i couldn't cope with the feelings and the emotions that i had when i was clean and when i was sober so i'd wake up i might not use for two or three days and i mentally couldn't cope with the place that i was and then i would use and then i couldn't hope the place that I was when I used. I'm not sure if that makes sense to anyone, but I'm sure there'll be someone out there that will resonate with. And then for a good few years, uh, and it took a lot of tough love from my parents, like I lost the relationships that I had with them. Um, I lost a lot of friends. I lost, I was in a huge amount of debt towards the end. And I just didn't want to go on and I couldn't see a life. And like I look back now and I think probably at that time I was like 26, 27. But some, somehow I was dormant, but I was like 11 stone, even though I was six foot four. <laughs> I was like, I was like, my face was like, I had no, no meat on me at all. Um, I was hardly ever eating. I was just living to try and get my next use, which was for me predominantly cocaine, but I would drink with it. Um, uh, I would take uppers, like downers, sorry, so like, like benzodiazepines, so what kind of to try and make me come down so I didn't have to pick up again. So I might neck four or five, take four or five, 10 milligram diazepam. And then because something hadn't kicked in within the half an hour, I was then picking up again. So then I was going back up on it because I couldn't cope with the come down from it. And then I'd have a few cans and then I'd be like, right, nothing's working here now. And then I'd have more. And when you look back now and like, the uppers and the downers and the mix, it's just its just a madness. A cocktail, isn't it? And you know what you said? It changed from that point to that point almost overnight. Literally. When you kind of analyse it, what you're putting into your body with the uppers, downers, the coat, the booze, no wonder. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a madness, isn't it? Yeah. It's madness. And, and not eating as well, by the sounds of it. You know, you're just living on almost just remote control of oblivion. I was one of the, yeah, I was one of the ones that couldn't eat, man. Like, I, my, my appetite completely went, like, I couldn't, I couldn't even bear the smell of food. Like, I had to just get away from it. And that would be for three, like, again, towards the end of the last couple of years of me using, it would be like three, maybe four days on the trot. And it was, I was just, it was just water and literally water, beer and cocaine. Like, and that was it. Every single day, like... So it would be, like, three or four days on, and then I would I'd pass out or my body couldn't cope anymore or whatever, and then I'd have a real massive, deep, deep, like, 16-hour sleep, and then I'd wake up and I'd be feeling sorry for myself, and I'd be like, right, not doing it again, not doing it again, I can't keep doing this to myself. Couldn't handle the mental thoughts. And then probably 48 hours later, I couldn't handle... I'm still coming down, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, but I couldn't handle the thoughts and, uh, uh, and how I was feeling then. Um, so then, without even knowing, like something would just happen in my head, and I'd be messaging people, I'd be driving to places that I knew where people would be. And I think it was all subconsciously because at the time I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it, but I was still. I would still find myself three hours later in a boozer that I knew where. X, Y, and Z would be who definitely always have whatever. Do you know what I mean? And it was that, um, like, maybe I did plan it, but in my head I hadn't planned it. Like, 
because I, I, I really didn't want to do it. But every time I ended up doing it. Well, that's the addiction, isn't it? But no wonder your family, if you, you were so close like you were, no wonder they started to notice it by just looking at you, let alone how you were behaving. Oh, completely like my my weight loss and my mum and because like I said, my mum's like a really loving, caring woman. She wants to cook for everyone. Like she's never met you, but if you come to your house, she's feeding you. She's like she's like she's just an an amazing woman. Um, and then I would start and and her, and her food is top and it's delicious. And she come here, mate, because I'm busy today, and just get around. <laughs> <laughs> but she would like she would always cook for me and dad and my sister and yeah friends that came over and, and I was turning the food down and like and obviously I, I'm not a parent but I would assume as a parent so someone that you've been feeding for the last 20 years and who loves your food like why are they turning it down so that's not, not only that Tanny it's like she she sounds like she absolutely adores you so to see your own almost disintegrate in front of her eyes is heartbreaking you know I've I've got a son who's 29 now and Luckily for me, he hasn't got any addictions, right? But if he did and I saw him, like, disappearing in front of him, it would kill me. Do you know what I mean? Even the thought, like, so for me to think about that, like my parents, if it was the other way around, it would kill me. And and at the end of my using, it, it turned into a real tough love. So, and I don't blame them for it at all. And I was the one. I did so many horrendous things were down to the addiction but also i have to take ownership because they were me at the same time do you know what i mean and there are consequences to our actions aren't there um but i ended up in a flat in birmingham on my own um and my poor mother and father would come and check every day to see if i was alive still oh god that's heartbreaking mate and what about all the like did the modeling go out the window as well because of how you looked and was behaving everything did yeah there was no um so the modelling stuff went well out the window because there was I couldn't I didn't really mind the look as much, but it was more the how I was behaving and the fact I couldn't turn up and the fact I was getting too paranoid as well. So I would get to a point where I couldn't even talk to someone on the phone. Like I couldn't take the phone call. And I'd be twitching at the curtains and I'd be whatever and I'd be turning work down and and, 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 and yeah, it all went and that was when I went and I got my own place in Birmingham. So that probably lasted best part of a year. But like I said, my mum my and dad every day, they, they, they were coming in and letting themselves in just to see if I was alive. And nine out of ten of the days, I'd just be in my bed, bored, full of whatever, and some empty cans and bottles on, on the side, and I'd just be there like that. And, and, and it, was, it was horrible, man. It was um, it's a really sad place to be, and especially when people just see, from my experience, addicts of, uh, of not like a generically good upbringing or people that have been on the street, whatever it might be, but it's just not the case. Have you ever worked out what it was though? Was, you know, like you, you say it started off, I mean, let's face it, right. When we were young, I was 14, you say 15, 16, the odd fag, uh, a little bit of, of spliff and that, that's pretty like run of the mill, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's be real. I know there'd be people listening to this not agreeing with that, but let's be real, right? <laughs> but then, <laughs> then you become a doorman, uh, and they did that, and you was quite clean then for a few months and that, and then you started. So was it the progression of it, do you think it was, um, of taking the coat? I think for me, like, when I look back now and, 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 and the work I've done on myself, I think for me it's, and I still don't know, I've never felt like I fitted in. 
I've always been a loner. At school I was, I had like one or two friends that I would kind of chase for their friendship. And I've always been finding something to try and help me fulfill the emptiness of not fitting into people, the world, society, whatever it is. I've always gone against the grain without kind of wanting to. Um, and I've always been very much a lone person, which, like I said, I still am today. As an adult, I found out and I was diagnosed with ADHD, which I think has quite a big play. And I've always just wanted to fit in with the crowd. And at the time when I started using um, cocaine when I was at work, I found that suddenly I had friends and suddenly I had a group of people. Suddenly I fitted in. And I was like, wow, I've got people ringing me to meet up. That's never happened. I've had mates of 20 fucking years and they've never called me once. It's always me calling them. Yeah. So guess what? Now I don't fucking call them. And guess what? I haven't seen them in yeah. the last five years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause it's not a one-way thing. Like It's both ways. And I've got to a point in life where I'm still very much alone. It says on my Instagram, by a lone wolf for the reason that I'm on my own all the time. And do you know what? I've become all right with it. Like, I've just been to Ibiza on my own. Two weeks before that, I was in Gran Canaria. Next week, I'm in Portugal, and I do it all on my own. Because if I can't have the right people around me, I don't want anyone around me. And if you want me for anything more than just my time and my amazing humour, <laughs> then, then like, that's all. I, if if we haven't got that, then we've got nothing. Like, I haven't got anything else to bring to the table. And yeah. I, I, I and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Danny, I, I relate so much to your story there because I was a loner at school. I didn't fit in. I was really quiet. You know, I, I was quite a shy lad. Uh, my mum and brought, yeah, my mum and dad brought me up to be indoors. And like, it was almost like a 1950s upbringing. Do you know what I mean? And I remember one day, right? <laughs> I always remember it. I was doing a, like a Meccano, like a metal Meccano crane thing, right? And all the, yeah, all the Herberts from the school turned up and knocked on the door. And I said to dad, I panicked. I said, dad, please tell him I'm, I'm out or I'm upstairs or whatever. Where's Dave coming out? And what? He went, no, he's not well. And I thought, imagine if they walked in, I'm in my pyjamas doing a Meccano <laughs> set, do you know what I mean? All these great big herberts and whatever. But they were the lads that I ended up drinking with. And I don't regret that because it helped me to come a bit streetwise. You know, like I, I learned the law of the land then, do you know what I mean? By getting in scrapes and, you know, as I said previously on my podcast, I was never the fighter, I was the comedian, right? So... After a few drinks, I warmed up, made everyone laugh, and then I felt accepted. And then I spent 40 years doing exactly the same to every person that come along. But really, my boozing ended up me being solitary for 10 years. My using did too, completely. Yeah. Because, uh, not, not for as long as you, but towards the end of it, I'd become paranoid. Um, I didn't want to share my my drink i didn't want to share my drugs and i was getting loads and loads of phone calls so suddenly i had the popular side but they were all to do with wanting me to be on the session with them or wanting to come to my place to session because ultimately they knew when they were with me they'd be using my stuff and that's what it boils down to yeah yeah um, oh mate it's like you you telling my story you know like I, I was so selfish around my stuff because this is my stash this belongs to me and I know exactly how much I need to get to there and if you take some of that then I ain't going to get to there and I'm going to be really pissed off do you know what I mean yeah and then I'm either going to be too too paranoid to go to the shop or ring someone or I'm going to have to get someone else too or where am I going to find the other 
20 quid because I'd counted that into that or like, I was exactly like that. It's yeah. just a constant like brain dumping that you've got of how to get where you are. You know, like this is why on a Friday I used to get all my stuff in and, and put it in there and lock the door and bolt the door and say, right, I ain't coming out till Monday morning because I know I've got enough here. No one's going to ring me. No one's going to text me. If they do, I'm not going to answer. Uh, I'm going to pass out when I want to pass out. I'm going to wake I can drink whenever I wake up, even if it's like seven in the evening or three in the morning, I can carry on. You know, it was a, a nightmare. And, you know, um, but so that happened, right? And your mum and dad used to come in, which must have been heartbreaking. It's like a, seeing that train spotting or something, you know, to come in and, and see. It literally was. Yeah, like, see your lovely lad there in bed with all the gear around and empty cans, right? At what point did you, was there a specific moment that you thought enough's enough or was there an intervention? There was an intervention, um, but for probably two years before getting clean, uh, I was trying to get clean and I really wanted to, but I just couldn't. I just I just couldn't. Um, and that was not only breaking me and my heart and upsetting me, uh, but obviously the people around me as well. Um, so it ended with um, an intervention of going to rehabilitation, which wasn't something I thought. I went and I was very grateful for the opportunity to go, but probably wasn't entirely ready at the time because it wasn't my idea, but was still very grateful, still went... So I went to uh, a residential rehabilitation centre in Essex uh, called Perry Clayman Project. Spent three months there, January 2012, went. And and it was good, you know. I stayed clean. I met like-minded people. I realised I wasn't on my own within addiction. I realised I could still fit in with people around uh, with but the recovery side of things. Um, and, and, yeah, it was great, man. And then came out ever grateful started rebuilding bonds uh slowly with my parents and the people that i really cared about and some that i didn't really care about that i just felt i needed to apologize to and then it was in the summertime of 2012 i can't remember when exactly like early august um i'm at a friend's house party and i thought oh, i've been i haven't had a drink or and done nothing for seven eight months whatever it was and i was and i was like I was probably sound, you know, and I don't know how it happened, but they were they were sessioning in the kitchen and I was in the garden. And then the next thing you know, I've had a line and I've got a beer in my hand. Uh, and, I, and I was like, okay, sound. Well, it just, it just, it just, it just went like, there was no thought in my head that that was ever going to happen again. And after seven or eight months, it just happened just like that. And then it all went really horribly, horribly wrong for like a month, um, five or six weeks, I literally couldn't stop. So I'd have set, it was like I was making up for the last seven, eight months in every day. I was like, it was absolutely insane. So how I didn't die on that, in that period, I don't know. I was in a horrible state and it wasn't like before where I would pick up, use for a few days, pass out, have a few days off, pick up, uh, or I'd go to the pub, drink a few. It wasn't like that. There was no stop. It was just, bam. Uh, 
everything that seven eight month I'd built, like everything had gone out the window, like even down to things like my personal hygiene, like my cleanliness, like everything. Like and when I can't emphasize it was it was a madness. Mm. It was absolute madness. Uh my mum and dad turned around to me again because there was no hiding it this time and I didn't even try and hide it. I was hor- I was really horrible. Um my morals went out quickly, very like they did before, but it was kind of a slower thing, whereas this time it all just happened in such a flash. And and I begged like to go back to rehab because I didn't know what to do and I, I was gonna die if I didn't. And to be fair, um my poor old parents were like Come on. So we went to a different one this time. We went to one in Bournemouth. Bournemouth. We went to the Providence Project. Um, and I, and, and, and I, I stayed there for just over, I think it was like six weeks. Um, and that was just exactly what I needed. So yeah, so I've been clean, thankfully, since, um, the 14th of September, 2012, which is when I went back there. And it was the best thing I did. And I was ready and it was time. Um, whereas before I think I wanted to, but it wasn't on my back mm. and it's very hard to do something. You can't do, you can't do anything for anyone else. You have to do it because you want to, because ultimately, as you know, as everyone else knows, ultimately you're either going to hold resentment. You're going to go back to old ways. At some point, something's going to happen, isn't it? Um, and if it doesn't, I think you're very lucky for me. It, it happened and, and, and then I was ready and I, I realized what I'd found in recovery. The thoughts had gone. I felt so much better. The confidence stuff I'd, I'd gone like, which is still gone now, but, but I was ready, man. And I was really grateful. And I'm so grateful because I couldn't imagine. I, I don't think I, I firmly believe I wouldn't be here, you know. No, I, I, I'm the same, mate. It's interesting what you say about, um, when after seven, eight months where you, you went on it and it was like you were making up for lost time because I can really understand that. Um, and I think when you say you wasn't ready, I don't, there's something in me that feels you wasn't there with yourself with it. Like you, that, you know, the, the lack of self worth or there was something there that you didn't worthy yourself enough to be able to sustain that sobriety. Right. So you did a self sabotage and you went straight back, but not only just straight back, you went for gold. Do you know what I, I mean? Went, I went, I went for gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and I I think then when you realise then that was I am in the shit big time. If I don't sort this out, I'm going to die. That was the moment you then felt you were worth it. And realisation, yeah, that massive realisation. Actually, I've got a valuable life, and and you know you're a lovely guy. There's no doubt about it, right? And since then. I love the way you look at your sobriety. You're really, really mindful about it. Um, you've made a film on YouTube and I've watched that. Anyone who wants to watch it, Danny Bennett on YouTube. And it's a short film, but it's powerful, mate. You know, like it, it's really powerful because you describe your upbringing and that. And, yeah, yeah. you know, so where, where you come out of rehab then, you were then, right, I've learned by my mistake then because I always say that people that slip up, it's a learning thing rather than a failure, right? So you learn from that and then you thought, right, I'm going to do this. Um, how did life look for you second time around? So I came out, I, it was good, you know, it was all right. Like there's still even nearly a, 10 and a half, 11 years later, there's still a lot of things that 
I struggle with. And I'm never going to say it's a walk in the park. It's not easy. Life's not easy. But it's so much better than it ever was when I was using or drinking mm. or taking anything mind-altering. It's a hundred like a hundred percent better. Um, I'm so so lucky to have rebuilt the bonds that I lost. Um, the last ten years, I've had a stable job. Uh, people go, "Oh, how do you do it?" Because I've been managing a club uh, for the last ten years. But for me, it's a bit like a meeting, you know. Like I don't judge anyone, but. I love being, I kind of love being in the environment and it reminds me what, what, why I don't want to be in the other side. And like, gratefully and, uh, and, and thankfully during COVID and stuff, I managed to build, build a big channel on TikTok. Um, and a lot of people used to c- come in the club, believe it or not, and say, how do you do it? How, like, and, and to be able to be in that position to, to give that help was really nice, you know. Um, and to be around people drinking and even serving alcohol, um, but and not and not want to drink it with mm. zero, like zero, it was quite for me. It was quite a fulfilling and proud feeling. Are, are you an all or nothing person? Uh, yeah, oh God, yeah, very right. much so. Okay, so it's the same with me, right? I can look at it, I can hold it. I won't buy it though. That's something like I just won't buy it as a gift or whatever. <laughs> I get him something yeah, else. Yeah, so yeah, I refuse yeah. to spend my money on alcohol. I get mate. Yeah, don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's fascinating how we're all different, aren't we? How we we have to shape it to to work for us. So. This is why I say, you know, there's so many things out there and you can take little nuggets from each thing. You don't have to go down that route or that route. You can take a bit from that, bit from that and make your own recipe. And this is, I always say like uh, as a metaphor about going into B&Q and we both got a toolbox and you might put a drill in it, a hacksaw, a screwdriver, and I might put spirit level and blah, blah. Right, because we use it to help ourselves, right? And uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And that is one thing that I feel really blessed with is that I just switched it off like a a light switch. It's like, no, uh, I do not want to have anything to do with you. Well, I work with it all the time now, but it doesn't, I wouldn't be able to do it if it triggered me. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to, yeah, record these podcasts or be on interviews or have clients and that i wouldn't be able to do it right so i put this huge filter up and i'm just lucky that i see it for what it is and i I quite often say i look at it like the bully in a playground that i've seen i've seen you now i I know what you're up to with me i know your plan your schemes and i'm sorry mate but i got your number and I ain't going back there. So yeah, stick yeah, that in yeah. your pipe and smoke it, you know, and that's we how tried. I, it didn't work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and, and that's about self-worth as well, because then you put yourself above it. Right. And you'd never oh, underestimate it because it's a bastard uh, and it will creep through the cracks. So I'm always mindful. I'm never complacent, but every single day I feel like I've got it today. You know, I have this, you know, and that works for me, but look, I'm going to let you into a little secret, right? Is that, um, I was on uh, telly for quite a few years, right, as a handyman on a makeover show. And the um, runner in the show was called Molly. And she left the show, right, and she she started on this incredible TV show called um, First Dates, right? Right. And uh, <laughs> she contacted me a few months later, and I was single at a time, right, and I was still doing 60-minute makeover, and she said, Dave, I'm working on this incredible TV show. And it just come out, right? Uh, 
and she said, you would be perfect to come on this show. Uh, and I was like, oh, really? Because I was a bit older and that. And she said, no, honestly, it's all ages and you've just got that character. So I went for the interview. I think it was in East London somewhere and that. And they said, do you know what? We're going to get you on. Um, and I think it was the following Thursday or something. They wanted me into the first dates thing. But that Saturday it was on. And there was a woman on there who was about 95. And she was the one that had the magic love potion in a little bottle. Right? right, and it probably wouldn't be allowed <laughs> these days. They're pouring it in, like spiking his drink with his love potion. Right. <laughs> anyway, I saw this and I thought, uh, "This is my paranoia. I'm going to get stitched up here. That'd be the sort of woman that they can pair me up just to stitch me up." Right, and I bottled it. I absolutely, I did, yeah. yeah. I thought, you know, and I'm glad I did as well because. I, I, you know, with the way things now, people said, oh, yeah, you was with that dodgy person on, the, on first date. So I might have been a dodgy person. You don't know. But anyway, and then I was watching your episode because I love first dates. I still love it. Like it, it's one of those programs. Like, I I grew up with Blind Date with Scylla. So honestly, yeah, I loved it. You know, that whole sort of thing and the dynamics between the couples and that. So like you were on this episode, uh, and do you want to tell us like what happened there? Uh, yeah, so I, I went on uh, 2016 now, so it's quite a while ago. I met met a woman, had a date. Uh, I can go like it's very set up. So first dates is very it's a very set up program, and anyone that's not been on it will know uh, they do try and prompt you in to what to say and do try and. But I, I get that. It's TV, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But ultimately, her response and reaction was um, because she had a child, she wouldn't want to see me again because uh, maybe the unpredictability of what might or might not happen uh, with me going back to drinking or taking drugs. But yeah, he's very happy to very happy to date somebody that might not be calling themselves an addict, yet takes drugs at the weekend and drinks. So... That's just pure judgment on whatever base it wants to be. And you know what? I don't hate anyone for any reasons. If you want to judge, judge. Like that's that's you. That's cool. Do you know what I mean? Um, that that I I haven't got to sit with that. You've got to sit with that, or whoever's doing that has. And if that's how they get through life in the happy bubble, then fair play to them. I suppose the, the point there that she was making, and you, you don't really know her background. I, I've been in telly so long, editing and whatever is, I, and I know people have been on Love Island and that, and it's, you know, it's we won't go into that. But anyway, the point was that you didn't drink and she brought it up and that's where it ended out, right? She was protecting her child and that. But that still goes on now, judgment, doesn't it? You know, like, oh, um, yeah, yeah. 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 You you don't drink. What's wrong with you? I worked with someone the other day, right? And she said that her friend said to her, once you stop this ridiculousness, we can go out and have fun again, right? And this <laughs> is like a 40-something-year-old woman. It's absolutely mad, isn't it? Yeah. And you wouldn't say that if someone had given up meat or, or no, God, you know, no. stopped caffeine. You, you just wouldn't go there. But there's such a lot of stigma around it, isn't there? Yeah, well, when I, I was in Ibiza just, so only yesterday, um, sat by the pool, there's a couple of older women there, and I'm just there with my water, and every now and then I'll grab a coffee, and just chilling out, um, 
and and they were chatting to me uh, a little bit of what like just just normal whatever how you been where you been what you been doing. Um, one of them goes to the bar and comes back with three shots of tequila and she goes, I've got you a shot. And I went, oh, thank you. I don't drink. And looked at me like, yeah. What, why, why, why are we in Ibiza? Well, because I love the island. I love yeah. the sunshine. <laughs> the flights were cheap. Like, um, and she went, oh, what am I going to do with it now? And I went, I'm really, really stuck. She was genuinely offended that I turned her tequila down and I wasn't going to drink it. I was like, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, but like, I'm definitely not going to drink it. Like, I, I don't drink. Like, I don't want it. And just the, like, after about ten minutes, she went. She she said, "Oh, fair play to you for for not drinking and stuff." Like, I'm sorry, I didn't whatever. But it took her a good ten minutes to like try and comprehend what I was saying, and I think she felt hurt because I was turning down the drink. I don't know, but she just couldn't. If, you know, when you can see the facial expressions there, and I was it's just shocked, like, yeah. And do you think you look like a drinker? Because I don't. Like, what I mean from other people, look, you look really healthy, well, so I can tell you live a healthy lifestyle, right? And it's really frustrating for the listeners because they're looking at you, you know, and you're a <laughs> handsome fucker, mate. I can tell you, right? But Thank you. <laughs> listen, when people, they look at me, like I'm a six-foot bloke covered in tattoos, right? Yeah, I so look, similar to me yeah. in, that, in that respect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You left out the answer, though, so I'll have you on that one, right? <laughs> also a handsome chap. <laughs> <laughs> the glasses right. for us, they, they yeah, work yeah. for us. <laughs> anyway, I look like a boozer because, I, you know, people judge me on what I look like. And when I sat down, drink their mouths drop. It's like, what? You know, yeah, like the stereotyping of... And but do you know what I really play on that? I absolutely love it. I could go in a pub, there'd be a load of uh, rugby blokes in there all... Be, be, Oh, I'll have uh, got any non-alcoholic beers, or or I'll have a uh, soda water and that. And I, I kind of hope they're going to say something to me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I really love playing on it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, people, it's, it's it's funny, but even in this day and age, like, don't get me wrong, I don't know about you, but for me personally, now when I meet new people and I tell them that, I, and they don't know any about my story, and I'm like, oh, I don't drink. Like, I get a lot more. Um, people are, are much less judgmental and will then start to go into, especially on holidays. I don't know why it's always when I'm abroad, uh, but then they start to go, like a woman the other day did with a, she was sat with a fellow and I was having a coffee at the bar. And then they start to go, and it kind of like you tell them a bit, because I don't want to, I don't want to also like, because they're normally sat with a wine or a beer in the hand. And I don't want to like, I'm not here to pre, you live your life how you want to live your life. But also, you've asked a question and I don't want to not answer it. Um, and then they go into their experiences and their, like, struggles and their whatever. And then I sit there and I think, okay, cool. Then we talk for a bit. And then I go away and I reflect on it a little bit. And I think, do you know what? That person, like, genuinely needed to talk about that. Yeah. So it's quite it's quite nice. And they kind of open up. Whereas probably even five years ago, it was, wasn't like that for me anyway. Whereas now it's getting more and more like that rather than judgment the other way. It's 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 sort of twisting a bit, but I don't know if that's people like yourself, me, and, and everyone well, else. Well, do you know what as well? I mean, like, since I stopped drinking, which was in um, 2019, January, right, I just feel there's so much more support out there. There's so many more ambassadors in the sobriety world, people that are willing to tell their story, you know? Um, yeah. And... There's so many podcasts. This podcast is two years old in a couple of days' time. You know, I can't believe where that's gone. 
but so, people yeah, relate yeah. to the stories of other people and there might be a nugget you've said uh that go oh my god i can really relate to that you know there's a lot more sober curious people lockdown had a huge effect on people um massive, massive you know and and we're coming out of that now and and it's made people look at their relationship, right? And when you're there standing confidently, right, humble, without waving your arms around going, hey, guess what? I don't drink. You're actually saying, I, I don't drink. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. When you yeah, say it like yeah. that, right, and, and there's no issue, there's no agenda, and there's no, I want to tell you all the reasons I don't. Um, it's like, I don't drink. I just like that with that tequila. I really appreciate it. I'm so sorry, but I don't drink. Yeah. Like, thank you for the gesture, but it's just not for me. Um, yeah. And then you don't, yeah. Because I don't, and I, I, on my social media channels, I do make a lot of videos, especially on TikTok, uh, about my story, about my journey, about the dangers, about what maybe to look out for. In fact, it could be anyone, your neighbor, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your best friend. Statistics say it probably is one of them people. Um, but that's for somebody to go and find, like, somebody will, will come across a video, they'll like it, they'll go onto my page and they'll stumble across this content. And then, like you said, being sober curious or whatever, they'll they'll look into into it. But as a day-to-day or as a whatever, I will never walk up to someone and say, I don't drink, you shouldn't drink. It's mm. bad for this. It could lead that way, this way, the other way. I just don't drink, that's all. Do you know what I love as well? I went on uh, Dan O'Reilly's podcast recently, The Dapper Laughs, right? He's smashing it at the moment with that. Fair yeah. Play. And it was a really emotional episode, actually, and he broke down. Um, and I sat with it, right? And afterwards, he gave me a big hug, and he said, Do you know what? I- I'm so grateful for that hour with you, because for him to let out his emotions, he had been doing the practical side of sobriety, you know, the stopping, dealing with the mates and whatever. And just yeah. before that podcast, I said to him, maybe we can touch on emotional sobriety. And he said, what is that? And I, and I, right, okay. Uh, and then when he broke down, I thought, Do you know what? That's amazing. That's like clearing the sink when you've got a block. You know, you, it's all the put the plunger and it all comes flooding out, right? And then you learn. And you, I said, Look, please, honestly, you might have a struggle for the next couple of days, right? But honestly, sit with it because this is a huge area of growth for you. Uh, and he's just come back from a, a big holiday abroad, which I think was fully inclusive and in that. And it is doing so well. He looks really healthy. He's getting up half four in the morning, going to the gym. You I've know, seen that on his Instagram. Yeah, he's smashing it, mate. And I, I back people, especially like for me, it's amazing that people in the public eye are openly share, starting to share stories of like the depth of their addictions as well, not just funny stuff. Because don't get, we've all got funny stories. But it's not just the funny ones, it's the the hard ones, the emotional ones, the painful ones. People are starting to do that, which is an amazing thing because it's only going to spread the word more, isn't it, and make people feel less alone. Yeah, and I think my point about Dapper's podcast is that after that, I had so many young lads come to me for help. You know, I'm talking mid-20 lads uh, uh, late 20s, early 30s, where they go, do you know what? Uh, Dapper laughs, he's a real role model to them as the typical geezer, the prankster. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Right? Very not, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and when my son found out, he went, you're winding me up, Dad. You're not, you know, I went, I am. He's asked me on it and whatever, you know, 
right? So it what I love is that there's so many different ambassadors out there that are reaching different audiences. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and there's a lot of people my age that would be grateful for that because they are going for what your mum and dad went through with you to see your child go through addiction and that. And and they must feel guilty themselves, right? Because I would, I think, oh my God, is it me? Have I, you know, have I been a bad dad? Have I, because of my drinking, has that led him to be like that? You know, there's a lot involved, isn't there? I, I can't see it from a parent's point of view, but I can only see it from a son, an older son to a, who loves his parents, if it was the other way around, I would be thinking, well, what, what have I done? How can I make it better? Like, I couldn't, I don't know, I, I don't think I'd mentally be able to cope with seeing it happen. I don't know what I'd do. Um, and there are things that I will forever, I haven't gone into too much detail on that, but I will forever feel uh, a bit, like, guilty and bad for. But I suppose that helps me to not then have complacency set in because... I'm kind of doing it for me 100%, but also it's like trying to, I don't know. I don't know. We'll leave that one there for me. That's for another day. No, I know, mate. I understand what you're trying to say. You have to navigate around it, don't you? And like what I say about the past is there's certain things that I won't ever be able to correct. You know, some things have happened and I have to, I have to live with that. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And there's some things that I am unable to correct because I've lost touch. And there's other things I think, well, I was a lad. I I was a drunk and and these things happen, you know. And so I look at it now that I have to be the example that I'm setting myself now, right, which is integrity, you know, my good core values, honesty, you know, things like that, that I, I can move forward now help people living that honest life now yeah and that's what i do and i do it for me and it help a few people along the way then amazing do you know what i mean and for my parents to be able to see that i am living that honest way of life with everyone and everything around me like that's my repayment for how shit i was but do you know what else mate and i don't know if you tap into it i think you will that this is your repayment to you to me, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it is to me and to everyone around yeah. me. Like, because I can't keep, like the old saying, isn't it? you can't keep it without, you've got to give a bit away, you've got to help, do you know what I mean? You've got to put a bit yeah. of service in. Um, but you haven't got to, like, but you just do it without even knowing it. I know you do. Um, and someone said that to me when, again, via social media, that's, I'm putting service in that way without even knowing that I'm doing it. And I was like, actually, I didn't ever think about it like that. Do you know what I mean? Well, listening, like you said about that couple earlier, you listened to them and you went away and reflected, right? That's service, right? Because you listen. You don't have to say, do you know what? You have to do it like this because that's how I did it. You don't have to say that. You can just listen and say nothing because the fact you've listened helps them. Yeah, you're letting, they're getting it off the chest. You're getting, yeah, because it's not, there's, the, you know, like they're not enough people are being heard. And also it's something they keep to themselves, right? So they see you think, right, you've gone through all this. You will understand me, right? Yeah, and, it's that non judgmental ear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they can offload to and to, to have that. And, and I, I feel privileged when people do that to me, you know? Like you're laying that trust in me yeah. to talk about your deepest, like, hardest times like it's good but um but no what i said toward the start of this actually so right now for me as well i'll touch on this because we're probably nearing the end so i've just 
handed my notice in from work and I've got quite a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. So it's quite an interesting time for me because these is, these times are going to be, I'm feeling and experiencing things that I haven't in sobriety. So I'm trying to take it as an exciting new challenge, but at the same time, I'm not fighting any demons and I've come to a point, as I think we all do in our sobriety, that I'm not complacent. Um, I don't want to pick up. I, I look through alcohol now. I don't really even see it as such. I d- I'm not in a place where I want to pick up or, or do anything like that. But I am in a place of new feelings and change. Um, and for me, I do struggle a little bit with change. So, yeah, it's just like I've got these mad thoughts, these mad feelings, and I'm like, I don't quite know what to do with it. So I've stopped the nights, which I'm excited about because I've been doing them since I was 18 and I'm, yeah, the last 20 years. But I'm also thinking, oh, oh, well, what's next? I haven't got a plan. I haven't even got a plan. I'm like, I haven't got a job, but I'm quite enjoying that. So the other day I booked the Ibiza. I went next week. I'm going to Portugal. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, shit, I need to stop just spending it. I need to start earning it. <laughs> <laughs> But do you know what? This is just a bit of respite that you probably I'm just need, gonna, you know? I'm, I'm kind of taking it and thinking, do you know, exactly that. And also, like, that, that little bit of freedom. And I'm not going to worry about it too much. And I'm just going to yeah. sit back and what's meant for me will be, what the universe, like, I should yeah. attract. I love that. That's me all over that is, mate. Honestly, the universe will deliver. When you clear those pathways, right, which you are, and you're just going to go, do you know what? I don't need that job. I don't need that money. I, I need this space in my life to let. And you open those doors I'm up. in a place in. where I would quite happily take a little bit less money, but try and maybe be in a more practical role with helping rather than in a role that was helping myself in sobriety. So in the pub and the club scene, it does help me. Like I said, I feel like it's a bit like a meeting. But I'd like to be maybe in a position where I can help others but in a different way that's not in a good setting <laughs> um but for now yeah I, i'm kind of i'm gonna be okay and sitting with it every day as it comes having a little look on the net but these are feelings i've never felt man i've not, not been in this position since i've been in sobriety so it's a whole like i'll, I'll let well i'll let you know how it goes <laughs> oh, i think everyone's probably like on the edge of their seat <laughs> thinking what is it what is it gonna be so we'll have to do have another episode day. but they they can Follow your journey. But, Danny, it's been great, mate. I've got to go because there's a knock on the door and I think it's your mum with uh, my shepherd's dinner. Because, uh, yeah, oh, I love shepherd's pie. pie. A little bit of cheese on the top. But um, it's honestly, mate, I'm so glad that we waited uh, for this episode. I think you're a top man. And I'm so happy um, for you and your family as Thanks. well that you're in such a good place. And I think whatever it is you're going to be doing, you're going to oh, be I really appreciate it. So, Thank you so much for having me on. I do appreciate it. Uh, it's a real joy, Danny. Thank you, mate. And, and keep us all oh, close. Don't to worry, you. I will. I will. We'll keep in touch anyway. We do. <laughs> all right, we will, mate. All right, Danny. Cheers, Thanks man. a lot, Take mate. Care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening, and have a great week.